Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man. But Dan, the annuals don't count. But man, I would sure count a Daredevil number 16 right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark is alluding to, I went to my first comic convention you know, I guess since since the beginning of COVID times, picked up a bunch of key books that I'm really thrilled about. But I've got Mark drooling over one in particular, and that is Daredevil number 16, which for those of you who don't know, is the first time that John Romita Sr. drew Spider-Man. It was kind of his test book before uh, he replaced Ditko, you know, over in Amazing Spider-Man proper. But I mean, the guy just kind of hits it out of the park from moment one. I mean, all, all the characters you love from his amazing Spider-Man run are there in Daredevil 16. I've been looking for a long time and I found a really good deal on it. I'm really happy with the book I got. I will relish any opportunity to make Mark jealous <laughs> of a book I own. You know, it's a special place in my heart because knowing about Daredevil 16 is what won me a competition to get John Romita Sr.'s signature which I got on my Amazing Spider-Man number 50 that I also had signed by Stan Lee. You know, I have a little bit of history with the book. And so getting that book kind of felt like completing that story in, in a way. And people who listen to the show for a long time know that story and are probably sick of me telling it. But <laughs> there we go. It's the end of a journey. Daredevil 16. With that said, Dad, you want to go back to the script? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So welcome, everybody, to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe and sometimes Daredevil. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, so today on the show, Dan, you and I, we're going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 66, Legacy Number 867. The story is entitled Tangled Web. The issue was written by Nick Spencer, with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. The covers by Mark Bagley, John Dell, Brian Reber. This issue was first released in stores on May 19th, 2021. This one, kind of out of nowhere, had some major revelations or at least teasings of revelations in it. So why don't we just get right into it? What's Yeah, well, I mean, I think the place to start is with the title, you know, Tangled Web. And this is kind of one of those standard 
catch up with everybody and all the lingering plot threads that have been going on while we focused on another story for a while. This is the like supporting cast, you know, roundup and moving into the next story. So Tangled Web as a title, yes, is cheeky because it was the Tangled Web series of stories. You know, that's kind of the the Tangled Webs we weave of all of our friends and, and associates. In that regard, I thought this was a pretty strong issue. There were some good stuff for the supporting cast. I think ideally, and maybe back in the day, which is a day that doesn't exist anymore, where everything was rosy because we idolize nostalgia and our past uh, more than our present. You know, I think a book like this would have room for all of that, plus kind of like a Spidey adventure. But I don't think in modern Spidey comics, that's something you can do with quite so many balls that uh, Nick Spencer is juggling. And you might say maybe there's too many balls that he's juggling to make any one of them stand out. But I still thought this was a good kind of issue. I thought actually paid off that plot beat that we got in the previous issue where Peter suggested, realized kind of like, hey, I've been neglecting all of my relationships. And so, you know, to at least kind of follow up on that thread, I thought, okay, great. We're actually like keeping thematically consistent with this. I like that. And there was some good Peter stuff here too. So uh, that's kind of my overall thoughts. Mark, what'd you think about this book? You know, this is one of those books where, you know, I would probably during like the dance slot run, I would have called it like the kind of moving all the pieces on the board up, up a square. I feel like we get a lot of that here. I mean, yeah, traditionally, I think in those comics, we would have also have gotten like, what's the main Spider-Man story going to be going forward. I mean, I know we're, we're getting something with the chameleon coming up next. I would have liked to maybe have seen some of that teased a little more substantially here. The, the strength of this book for the last 59 years has always been its supporting cast. So I, I, I never begrudge having these stories where we kind of just do, you know, all encompassing check in on everybody. You know, from that end, it was really good. You know, and we'll obviously get into the the, the nitty gritty detail. I mean, we had some stuff with Kindred here, which kind of left me of a couple of minds, uh, uh, you know, and I'll explain why when we get there. But like, you know, like I said, like this, this, this was a needed kind of refresh to, to kind of restart in a new direction. If, if I just had one overarching complaint, it would have been like, let's like, you know, kind of what you alluded to here. Let's find a way to get Spider-Man and his next story kind of moving forward, too, because that that seemed to be the one big thing that was neglected in this whole in this whole thing. So, I mean, we get like a couple moments with him in costume. I I think like if this is the Dan Slott run, first of all, I think there would be less threads being woven together. Uh, I don't think Dan Slott really focused on supporting cast quite this heavily. And that's something we knocked him for. And so, like, I got to give praise where someone is doing the opposite. We would have gotten probably like an obligatory fight with the lizard or some other foe that you really never posed a threat or any plot significance to Spider-Man. So like in lieu of that, I appreciate what we got here. It was more meaningful to me than, than like him beating up on some random dude. Although that stuff is fun. I think about that, like Humberto Ramos drawn, lizard fight that was kind of fun to read from i don't know whatever 50 not 50 100 issues ago oh my god we're getting you old mean, are you mean the lizard or the iguana sorry the iguana is okay because as i say lizard's a pretty big deal so i don't think that would be a throwaway but yeah or like white rabbit or whatever yeah i know exactly what you're talking about it's like it's one of those little kind of like sidebar smackdowns <laughs> 
you know, for all the guff we give Nick Spencer about closing as many threads as he's reopening, you know, there are some conclusions to stories here that I that I did find satisfying. I mean, whether it's the Tombstone Robbie stuff or Aunt May and Feast, you know, it feels like those things are kind of like, you know, books being closed a little bit. I'm sure we'll revisit them. But I do think this book has been operating in a much stronger place over the past dozen or so issues than it had been prior. I think this is kind of a, a continual you know, trend in the positive direction for the title. Do you want to get into some of the some of the specifics of it? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like kind of in terms of dealing with characters whose stories were not closed off. I mean, we we, we, we revisited Baron Mordo, you know, now obviously that the Kingpin got what he needed from Boomerang last issue and re uh, resurrected his his son, Richard, a.k.a. the Rose. You know, Mordo is basically like, you know, OK, I'm done with you, Kindred. And, and and I shouldn't be surprised by this because we've we've had Norman and the Spot team up before recently, right? But it, it's still like in the moment kind of surprised me. Like, oh yeah, that's right, they're a thing. Like like Norman Norman shows up to save Kindred from Mordo with the Spot, <laughs> which is probably like the the, the 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 biggest the biggest beatdown that the Spot has ever probably issued, thanks to thanks to Norman and the element of surprise. It is- I did find it a little silly that the Spot was just like able to take out Mordo with like a punch. Like, you know, this is like Doctor Strange's like ultimate villain, you know, other than like Dormammu. And he's just like, just clocked out. Well, uh, you could be a master sense. of the dark arts, but if you don't see someone coming through a hole out of nowhere, punching you in the face, I guess you go down like a shot. I don't know. That's my no prize there. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess like the Dr. Octopus rules are like his arms are super powered, but he's just a dude. And so beating up on him, it takes its toll. Look, I could get hung up all day on like the mechanics of the spot escaping because it's like, okay, you've got the spot in prison and he's also imprisoning Kent, Kindred, it is weird that it took Norman like opening a door and releasing him, you know, to then free. It just feels like it's a little bit weird, the mechanics of it, but it's fine. And this isn't even one of those like it's comics kind of things. It's just like this is not a detail to get hung up on, you know. And so Kindred is released from his spot prison we kind of leave that scene behind norman rushes to kindred yeah yeah and we have kingpin reaffirming you know with with richard's return things are going to be different i mean we'll see you know like this this whole plot development frankly i i, I mean you know I, I i appreciate they didn't go the obvious route of you know that we were all predicting like oh he's going to resurrect vanessa again you know <laughs> like i'm still kind of confused as to where this is going to go and frankly kind of like tying into the next scene a little a little a little kind of underwhelmed by like the threat level that that these heroes are kind of presenting as you know that the rose presents i mean and don't get me wrong i really liked how this scene opened up with spidey kind of being sullen and looking down at the new avengers or whatever the the click we want to call them the defenders whatever you know and being like you know how did i get duped by boomerang i thought he was changed and you know now i've really made a mess because the rose is back and it's very bad news and and you know like the rose is obviously he's a villain but like and and i i think he's a good villain but like it's you know i don't know we're not talking about like some cosmic powered 
foe here. It's not like, oh, I brought back Thanos to like wipe out humanity. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I'm, I'm a little like, okay. I mean, like, you're selling drama here, but the drama might be a little overdone, overcooked here. I don't know. Do you, do, do you see what I'm saying, or am I being too uh, literal here? <laughs> no, I mean, if I to peel back the curtain, that's exactly what I wrote. You know, in the um, notes, it says like the roses returned is, quote, very bad news, end quote. And I'm not sure, like, what a few webs and a punch to the face really like does. Like the rose was not like super powered. He was just very connected and could, you know, was a bit more like I don't know if he was more conniving than Kingpin, but he definitely was more chaotic than Kingpin and like to kind of shake things up because he was trying to get at his father. I don't really know what like a healed Rose who seems ostensibly like he'll have a better relationship with his father, like what threat he brings. Like he's not resurrected with his whole force of thugs. Like, you know, will the Rose coming back mean that Kingpin is more chaotic? I mean, it seems like less so he's like trying to heal things. But it does seem weird that everybody's reacting like it's the end of the world that the rose was brought back. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's just nothing in the character's biography, and 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 not to get too deep in the weeds here, but frankly, you know, don't let's not forget when the rose was first introduced by you know Tom DeFalco. I mean, like, the, I think the intent was that he was going to be Roderick Kingsley. So, like, you know, like just saying, like, like you go back to the history of this character, it's not like. It's not like oh, it's the son of the kingpin, and thus it's even more. It's 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 the kingpin person, you know, uh, you know, times two or times fifty or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's just, I don't know. I I I'm I'm a little like meh with that. I will say like if we get like a like another like big fight between you know like those characters again, like reliving the the eighties hobgoblin stuff, we get Roderick Kingsley back. You know, and he resurfaces. I, I'm always down for more Kingsley stories because I think he's a great character. Even in the modern interpretation of him, he's cool. I would love to see the Rose and Kingsley kind of like get back into it. And that, that was a fun era of books. So, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is this is the wheelhouse for good Spidey stuff. I don't want to make it. I don't want to diminish like what bringing like a character like the rose means it's uh, yeah it's i think we're on the same page here dan it's it's more about like you know it's not that i don't like the rose i think rose is a great character but it's just you know like let's let's not paint him out to be you know again like thanos, thanos. or <laughs> you know or even like oh we brought back doom or red skull or you know what i mean like this is not this is not a, an a plus alpha supervillain here i mean this is like a like a like a real cool street level spider-man villain he, he also would make a really good florist Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the The next kind of check-in uh, was probably, I would say, my favorite part of the book, and you kind of mentioned it in the, in your, in the intro, so I'm assuming it was one of your favorites. I mean, this was kind of Randy and Robbie having the, the you know, it's funny. Like, I, I was not remotely surprised by the course of this conversation. Like, I could have called this coming a mile away like this, you know, I will still take you down the moment I can, you know, kind of exchange to them. But, you know, because our kids are together and happy and happy with each other, we're cool on as long as that that's going on. And like that to me, like it, it's an it's predictable, but it's an honest and sincere moment. And I feel like 
you know, based on what Nick Spencer and company have done with Robbie and Tombstone over the last few issues, it, it felt earned and and right and perfect. It's 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 the perfect kind of bookend for the journey that these two characters have been on the last few months. So I, I, I appreciated that whole that whole sequence tremendously. I just liked the the way this whole sequence was rendered. You know, we haven't mentioned Mark Bagley yet. You know, this is right in his wheelhouse, which is like talking heads. But the setting of Minton's, like the, the jazz bar, I think it's really beautifully rendered and it's rich with detail, which is not something, you know, like uh, that I have, like I often say about Mark Bagley and his work. I mean, I even think back to Ultimate, as much as I love his pencils, you know, he would do a party scene and it would be like a bunch of bodies, but like very sparse on the 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 extraneous detail because he's a fast worker. But I really think that since he's come back to this book, he really has kind of like put his all into building out that part of you know that side of him. And this to me was like kind of a real example of that. And I think Brian Reber's colors, the kind of rich browns and oranges and, and reds of the jazz bar, it was a... You know, it like felt like alive, and I really liked this scene. I, I think you know it was a it was a good investment of time and artistic creativity. You know, also like you said, the exchange with Tombstone is it's Bagley. He's got a way with acting, you know, or directing his character, so to speak, on, on the page. I'm still a little like weird about Robbie being okay with Randy's girlfriend being a villain or like a thief or whatever, but you know, I, I'll accept it. In some regard, I think Randy has made the point enough that she's like helping with feasts and stuff. I I get what you're saying. It doesn't bother me, you know, really much at all, because for me, it's like it's just it's just a father's love for his son. He just wants to see his son happy. And he sees that this woman makes him happy. I I, I think that's it's it's that is I think that is the, the cutting through the Gordian knot of the whole thing. You know, like he just wants to see Randy happy and thus what is willing to overlook these flaws because. But I get it. <laughs> I mean, classic soap operatics. You know, like, I, yeah, I'm not I'm not that worried about it. I mean, this is fun. I, again, like you said, highlight of the book. Yeah. The, the next kind of check in. This is this is where the book. I don't want to say it goes off the rails for me because that's a little melodramatic. But like, frankly, this is the first thread where I'm kind of like, uh, OK, what are we doing here? Is, you know, we have MJ looking, you know, Bagley does a great job with with MJ as always. And she's, you know, going to get into a car and it turns out that it's overdrive and it's like, oh, you know, like, hey, remember way back when, when we had this whole subplot with Carly Cooper and like, frankly, I'm like reading this like, oh, yeah, that's right. She's involved in this story somehow. But like, frankly, it's been so poorly woven together you know carly carly's role in all this that like you know like the the impact of this is is kind of i i don't know i don't i don't think it met with the with the with the impact that it was intended and and for me it just kind of felt like we're opening up another another big mystery here because overdrive is like you know what you know something's going on with with carly she just disappeared and now and, and MJ is going to look into it and it just seems like, oh, we, we, we're, we're going to put MJ in danger again. And I don't know, like th- th- to me, this just fell flat for me. I'm, I wasn't I wasn't feeling this. Uh, I, th- I thought this was fine. I mean, I thought it was very minimal page, you know, count uh, on, on this this plot. And I was happy to see it resurfaced. And I think it set up the end of this book pretty well that we like are returning to it. And we're not just returning to something which we'll talk about later, like there's a threat or an idea introduced, 
but it's nice to know that like someone's going to be proactive about it. Like Overdrive cares about this woman that he professed his interest in and Mary Jane is going to get in on the case. It gave me an excitement about like, oh, we're going to get to the bottom of this. This is going to move forward now. It's not a big scene, but for me, it was like, it was exactly what I needed to go like, oh, that was something that I was kind of interested in. I'm glad it wasn't totally forgotten. I, 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 I mean, yeah. I get what you're saying. I guess for me, it's it's no, it wasn't a big scene. It's not like we wasted valuable pages here. But like, you know, at least with some of these other bits, we've been getting, you know, Mordo and Kindred and and Robbie and Lonnie and all that kind of stuff. We, we, we've been getting regular check ins and, and, and subplots with these characters for the last few months. I mean, I feel like we have completely abandoned overdrive and 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 carly since when was that the pre prequel to last remains i mean it's 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 been it's been months you know so i i i feel like if this is something that we were going to come back to in a meaningful way that there should have been a few more a few more check-ins and i know like how many pages can you do here but like this but this is kind of you know, this is the the flip side of I think of this of this run of comics right now with with Nick Spencer is that the pacing of these stories is just so unevenly distributed that you know like you, you kind of lose track of what's important. And for me, like it, it just it just felt more more of a, of a nuisance that we're coming back to this now. Like okay, so now now this is important again. I need to care about it, even though no one really seemed to care about it for the last three months. So that, that's, that's all where I'm coming from with it. I, I, I feel that I, for me, my, the expression of that is like the timey wiminess of it all. Like, and we can get into the final scene. Like it, it has Carly kind of waking up from being kidnapped and it's like, wait, like when is this occurring? Because like she was kidnapped, like you said, like 20 issues ago in the middle of the last remain story no sins rising it was all the way back in sins rising has she just been in stasis all that time or or what so yeah you're right i mean i I think like ideally this would have been thrown in like maybe at the end of like you know last remains or something to kind of keep the thread alive on that so i think what where i'll make a concession to you is i thought the scene was fine it makes me excited to see more of it the the placement of it uh should have been much earlier you know in the book not this particular book. I mean, in the series. Yeah, no, I, I understand. We do come back to Norman and Kindred. And I would, um, you know, I know we had Kindred earlier in this book, but I think this is a, a distinct Kindred alarm here because we have uh, a, a very interesting sequence between Kindred and Norman that there is some subtext and, and text here that needs to be interpreted, right? Uh, why, don't, why don't you kind of walk us through what happened here? The end of this book is really interesting, but this scene to me is the most interesting in terms of like this ongoing kindred story that we've like the most interesting revelation we've our so-called revelation we've gotten in a really long time. So we've got this like monologue from kindred as he's kind of like dying or, you know, being saved from near death in the arms of Norman. And he's really playing it up, like how hurt he is and how much like he had to reduce Norman and take away his sins and, and the goblin persona to get Norman to this place where Norman would be able to save Kindred and create this healing process between them that he fought his way through hell just so that he could get to this moment and reduce Norman to this point so that he could, you know, heal him and heal their relationship. And right as he's kind of like reaching this climax where you think father and son 
in whatever f- twisted form of father and son this is, are going to be reconnected in this moment of where Norman finally stepped up and cared about his son. He's, he tells him, you know, I've reduced you to this point where you're finally reveal who you really are without the Green Goblin, uh, broken, scared, and defenseless. And then he wraps his centipedes around Norman and just like bashes him pretty hard. Like, I don't know if Norman is dead. I don't think so. But, you know, it looks pretty brutal. And then the most interesting thing is to end the scene, Kindred calls him just flatly idiot. There's a lot of subtext to break down here and just straight up text. Mark, your reaction to this scene upon reading it. And it's kind of hard to talk about this without talking about the context of what we know about from the ending. But like, I mean, even even in the moment, like idiot is 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 pretty loaded. I, I mean, I know it's just it's just a word, but it's in this context, it, it, it to me, it indicates like some duplicity, some some subterfuge going on, because, you know, obviously, you know, he's kind of conning Norman into, you know, being friendly and forgiving to him. But like, you know, like. What about what Norman did makes him an idiot? Is he is he an idiot for wanting to mend fences? Is he an idiot because he believes Kindred in what he's saying or who Kindred is? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and that's and that's frankly where the context comes in. Like, like to me, like it's the the word the word idiot here is loaded because you're just like you're wondering like is everything that we think is going on here actually happening? And and you know again, kind of jumping ahead to the ending. It may not be. And that's that, you know, pretty telling and interesting right now. <laughs> Me reading it, reading it like my immediate jump was like everything we think we know about Kindred may not be true. You know, like he is a manipulator and I'm not sure to what point. Like that's the interesting thing is like his goal that he states here to Norman might still be true, right? He did want to use his powers to reduce Norman to who he thinks he is broken, scared and defenseless. And for what purpose? I'm not exactly sure whether idiot means like, I'm not your son. And I've just been like using you this whole time under that uh, pretense. And part of me is like, that's kind of exciting. But like you said, right, it's hard to apply the word idiot to what part of the statement and and what part of their relationship. It does make me think back to the last issue where we talked about Kindred, where it was weirdly suggested that only Norman could hear his pleas. And whether that's like a real statement, like physically only you can hear me or an emotional one, like none of these people are empathetic enough to hear my, my cries for help. And I don't think that that's my prevailing theory is that like Kindred has just borrowed the guise of Harry or appears differently to everyone. But there's certainly like idiot could imply Im- imply that as well. I, I do want to save some analysis for the, the, the final final reveal of this book. But like, you know, frankly, you and I were talking about this offline earlier. Whenever we're talking about Kindred and Kindred's motivations and identity and, and, you know, any kind of specifics involving Kindred, you know, you kind of go back to what the character himself said, which is, it's not who I am, it's what I want. You know, I don't know if what if the, if the what is still clear, and we could talk about that somewhere later, too. I think we're still, as critics, as fans, as everything, we're still struggling with, with some of this stuff 
because I think we're, we're still trying to read this as the who. And it's, it's just become abundantly clear whether this is justified or not that Nick Spencer is not writing about writing about this from the perspective of who it is only the what you kind of have to, you know, invert what you think about this character and what the character is doing, because you're, you're trying to apply it to it's Harry, it's Harry, it's Harry. It could be some version of Harry, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. It's like, it like, like just throw that aside and try and understand what's going on here. So when this when this character says calls him an idiot, is it how you know you're thinking? Oh, Harry is calling him an idiot. Why? Why is Harry calling him an idiot? It's really not Harry. Or it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So like I, I'm just trying to say like we got we have to kind of I think all collectively start looking at this much differently than what we've been doing for the last three years of this character. <laughs> That's the challenge of the final reveal of this book. Is it like it still is trying to like kind of like make you think about the who again? And that might get to the theory that it is nobody or everybody, depending on who's looking at it, because there is no who like it is, it, 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 you know, it, it takes on many different who's, you know, I have a bunch of different theories. Again, we'll talk about the end of the book. So let's move on before we stop. Say, we got to stop saying we'll talk about the end of the book. Let's get to the end of the yeah, book. Yeah, let's, um, let's let's run through the rest of these check ins here, including Jonah, who, you know, is is predictably ticked off that that Peter d- ditched his whole uh you know meal ticket with the costume here I mean totally a totally predictable Jonah blowhard scene right <laughs> yeah is this the first time in the comic we've had Jonah actually shout get me some pictures of spider-man so, so like uh, you know brazenly I I just thought that was really funny and I was thinking like you know, maybe maybe nobody's ever actually literally had him say that um, <laughs> in the pages of the comic. But the interesting thing is that he is like, look, if I can't use Peter, I offered him this platform to redeem himself, which, again, I felt like wasn't in- entirely fully fleshed out of like a beat for him. And I'm not really sure I understand Peter's motivations there because it wasn't really a choice for Peter. It wasn't like there was like someone's life hanging in the balance if he proved himself to be a hero on national television, so to speak. Jonah promises to get a hero of his own. And we all know how well Jonah manufacturing superpowered characters uh, goes. Do you have anyone in mind that you think like, oh, would be a good fit for working with Jonah as like his own personal like hero around town? I'm sure it's going to be someone completely unworthy of it <laughs> you have a you have a note here that i actually think is a good one but you know i i i won't say it because it's your it's your it's your prediction so you say it <laughs> well i have two guesses and one of them is chance yeah uh, that, that's that's, seen... a, that's a good one i think i think that's a good that's a good random like you know anti-hero to throw out there yeah because he's still kind of out there operating the last we saw him in that like floating fortress in the sky. And he's the kind of guy that's like a freelancer. I could see that. And then, you know, the cover of the next issue, which has like this split face between chameleon and Spider-Man. I don't think that Jonah would straight up hire chameleon, but like I could see chameleon dressing up as Spider-Man and offering himself to Jonah in, in some form. I don't think that necessarily going to happen, but it could. And that could be kind of fun. You know, we could go back to the classic chameleon dresses up as Spider-Man stories uh, of the past. Meanwhile, what's going on with Peter here? Because now, so now I, I, I feel like Peter has kind of, you know, the very typical revelation of, you know, uh, he's, he's, he's 
standing over the wreckage of everything that he's caused again. He has no roommates. He has no home. Where's Peter going to go? What's Peter doing here? Well, we don't really know where he's going to go necessarily, but he does take the money that he earned from threats and menaces and gives it to Aunt May, you know, in an anonymous donation to repair Feast. You know, I, I know that Feast was already kind of being repaired due to the connections with, uh, you know, uh, Janice Lincoln. I thought that was kind of a cool way to wrap up where that money went. Although I don't know how Peter's going to survive without like his various jobs and employments and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, my guess is he's going to move in with MJ like we had talked about before. I mean, if he doesn't, that's kind of a weird, I don't know. It's not very 21st century, you know, like people move in together. These two were engaged in the past. You know, I feel like them moving in together is not a very big stretch. Not a big deal. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> so in the Lou, our spirit of him wanting to kind of like, uh, heal some of his relationships and people he's neglected, you know, you know, way back when we kind of had this like off panel suggestion that Betty was being called. I think it was during the 2099 arc. Betty was called to assignment uh, overseas in Europe. And I remember making joke at the time, like, don't do it, Betty, because that's where your ex-husband or your, your former husband or whatever uh, was was murdered, you know, on assignment in Europe. Poor Ned Leeds uh, <laughs> before he was unceremoniously killed again and buried <laughs> within like a ba- like a uh, an issue, which I still kind of hold against Nick Spencer. I feel like there were stories to be told there that uh, that we never got, but it's just a, kind of a weird choice. But so Spider or Peter realizes he got like sixteen texts from Betty, who's back from Europe, and he goes to catch up with her at the coffee bean. Only to find out, dun, 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 Mark, what's up with Betty? Betty is is quite pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) The the note here, and, you know, I don't think this is a a bad question to be asking is, who's the father? (laughs) Could it it be the the, the Ned? Well, no, she never met the Ned clone, right? Right. They like Spider-Man like had him buried without her knowledge because he didn't want to like complicate it and and mess her up. Right. So like he he got rid of the Ned. So she never knew unless she did. And and we didn't get to experience that. Clearly, this seems to be implying that like this happened while she was in Europe. Right. Always Um, in Europe with these characters. Right. Well, right. Right. That's where you go to change your life, apparently. Yeah. And Um, get pregnant, apparently. And with with, with, with children. Like, I mean, the only other real Europe tie recently has been the Harry stuff. Well, I was thinking also, I I was thinking Sins Pass with Gwen. Wasn't that all in Europe? Yeah, that was in Europe, too. Right. So (laughs) then it was Norman Osborn. We're about to get another Sins Pass story. Oh, my goodness. Um, Please, no. Um, I don't know. Do you mean? Do you have any legit guesses who the father could be? I I, I don't. I don't. I I, I don't want to. I don't want to throw that out there. I mean, let's see. Let's see what happens with the character here. I mean, like I like Betty. I I I feel like, frankly, no one has really known what to do with Betty for years now. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe this can lead to something good, but yeah, I you know, I, I do I I do hope for the character's sake. It's not something completely outrageous here. You know, like I, I you know, I know we're joking about Norman and Sin's past and all that, but like, you know, like if you're gonna do this, let's let's have it be something I think somewhat believable and 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 befitting of a of a classic character. Don't 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 make this like uh, a circus here. My 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 two cents. So, 
I mean, if I were a betting man, you know, and I was betting on like the soap operatics where, you know, every character change has to be related to someone we already know, right? Every villain under the mask is someone we already know. You know, I think the safest bet would probably be that it's Flash's child because before he died, he and Betty kind of rekindled their relationship. You know, now that Flash is uh, back from the dead, I guess we haven't really seen like what that looks like yet. So like there might be an opportunity there for Flash to become like a father or something, which could be interesting. My hope is like, this is my hope is that it's not anybody we know. And that Betty just made a decision that it was time for her to do something new in her life and become a mother or something like I I think or maybe she's totally legitimate and nice and interesting, I think, frankly. Yeah, or she's been secretly getting like in vitro fertilization, you know, fertilization or I got a sperm donor. I think that would be interesting. I mean, it would be very similar to that like great Spider-Woman thing where, you know, everybody was speculating about it and it just turned out to be nobody. Uh, honestly, I would find that really refreshing and kind of an interesting way to shake up the character. So we'll see. But yeah, an, an interesting kind of cliffhanger. It is interesting how these characters kind of like move on with their lives in some way or are aging up and like. The more they do this with these supporting cast characters, the more it makes Peter seem like he's standing still. And I, I wonder as we do move forward in this kindred thing, it, it, maybe this is finally a sign, all these things adding up that like Marvel might be ready to move Peter on and allow Miles to be the young guy. Like, you know, that, that might be an interesting statement if, if Spencer is willing to make that. Okay, so enough on that. Let's get to the actual cliffhanger. I would say the other, you know, not the biggest reveal. <laughs> it's not Betty Brand. But yeah, so we we, we, we kind of flash over to this, you know, we see Carly Cooper, like, you know, kind of trapped somewhere. It looks like it's in like a prison cell of some kind. And, you know, she's trying to find her way out. And then she looks up. And sees, we discussed this a little bit offline, like, was it who we thought it was? And I mean, to me, it seemed pretty clear. It's Harry Osborn basically being like, there's no point, you can't get out. And that's where it ends. And it's like, Harry, ha- ha- why is Harry here? I mean, like, I would also say, why is Carly here? But like, I, you know, it's something, something's going on here. And there is Harry Osborn. And, you know, like this, this, you know, to go allude to what I was saying earlier, this all goes back to the the it's it's not the who because if it was the who Harry would be under the kindred mask right now. So what's going on here, Dan? What do you what do you what's what are you making of this? Okay, well I have a, a multiple theories about this. I mean, obviously they were both captured by kindred and placed here. Like that that is the kind of like underlying context. And I will say that like I did wrestle with this page, looking at it and going, is it Norman? Is it is it is it Harry? Because we saw Norman get captured just earlier in this issue, right? I mean, you know, I know the Osborns have the same hair, but this clearly seemed like a younger Osborn. <laughs> Correct. And, and I think, like, the the stinger of the ending isn't quite as impactful if it's Norman, because it's like, I, I don't think it'll be deserving of a full-page spread if it was Norman. You know, we just saw that earlier in the issue, right? So, I mean, I think it's clear it's Harry. And, uh, well, I mean, relatively clear. I mean, Mark Bagley has done better jobs of distinguishing, I think. But there's a couple of implications here. Like one is like, if you're just to take it straight at like, you know, face value and, and no other weird shenanigans with this, it's suggesting like either Harry isn't in fact kindred, you know, and, and is just like a, a, a prisoner of his, which has a whole bunch of implications itself. Like, 
does Kindred kidnap people and then assume their identity, right? Like, like is he able to, you know, ca- capture people and then pose as them, right? So are we going to see a Kindred that's posing as Carly Cooper, you know, walking around? But then you think about the scenes where like there was the scene, I believe it was in like Last Remains where there was that issue with Kindred standing over the bodies of Liz and Normie as they slept, right? And so it's like, well, why would Kindred do that if he... Had no connection to these characters, yeah. Right, or unless that's like part of him like assuming his role as Harry is like, you know, being in their lives or maybe that was like, the moment that he kidnapped Harry that we were seeing replayed. But I, I don't necessarily think that that's uh, what, what this is. I mean, like, I know we've had some theories, you know, from fans like, oh, you know, Kindred only appears to people in a certain, you know, to what they want to see or what they think they see or whatever. And, and I get that. But like the, the, the fact, the you know, and maybe this is, this is foolish of me, but you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to base this on the text and, and trying to read the text a certain way. And, you know, like even like, and this is frankly where like the introduction of Carly Cooper here kind of throws me off because regardless of who, you know, whether it's who is important versus what with Kindred, the thing is when it comes to the who we, we have been. We are being told that there. There is no reason not to believe that this character is some kind of manifestation of Harry Osborn. There, there has been no indication whatsoever that this character somehow appears differently to anyone else. You know what I mean? Like, like, like it's so. So to 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 suggest otherwise would. And if that proves to be true, would just be like the greatest narrative cheat in the world. And to me, would just be completely unfair and have no merit because it's, it's just, there's just no evidence in the text that that's the case. So, you know, I, I, like I said, in, in terms of being annoyed with the whole Carly Cooper thing is like, OK, so what does she possibly have in common with Harry that would bring the two of them together in this context, because it's like, there's no reason to believe that this character is going to assume the identity of Carly. You know, like, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't, there's just no reason for it. Like, like, like there, there is no indication that that's going to happen. So why bring these two characters together in this, in this context? I, I don't know. And it's so, so, you know, this is, this is where like trying to play the guessing game becomes more frustrating than fun for me because it's like, you know, like to me, this is befuddling because like, you know, to, to go in a certain direction would, would undermine the narrative that's already been established and to undermine the narrative that's already been established, frankly, kind of ruins, ruins the, any fun of the story for me because then I feel like it's being unfair. You know, I, I, I kind of feel like this is Spencer kind of painting himself into a corner here in terms of trying to, weave his own mystery here but that so so that's my long-winded way of saying i don't really have a have a guess or or a prediction here because i think this is being set up in a way where you really can't make a fair prediction without completely undermining the story that that has been told so far that's my my two cents i don't know you can feel free to disagree with me 100 percent on that dan but like it's just like I, i i feel like throwing guesses out there is pointless because it's just it's just would be 
giving the the author the the out to do a complete cheat on the narrative, which I think is, you know, not a cool thing to do. <laughs> well, it's funny. I'm actually surprised to hear you say this because I actually think that this issue is like probably the biggest confirmation we've had yet of your original guess as to what was going on here, um, which is to say you were, you suggested that this wasn't our current Harry, but the erased Harry from pre brand new day, which has kind of been long your guess. Yeah, as no, to what's going and I don't disagree here. with that. I, I, I guess that I, you know, I guess if I was to guess, that would be my guess. But like again, it's the, but the presence of Carly is like completely befuddling me here. Like it's like, why are we bringing her in here now? And like with these two characters, like where where does Carly figure in? Like it just, it just I seems figure c- she figures in because she's a brand new day character. Like I, I, I maybe it's cause I'm foggy on the relationship between Carly and Harry more immediately. She's the one that found an extra body in the morgue. Right. And you know, let, let's just play out your idea and I'm going to make some really spurious guesses here. I think we said at the time, maybe the extra body is another corpse of Harry Osborne, you know, or the dead body that like reportedly like Mysterio made to fake everybody out about Harry dying or, or whatever. Like there was another, there's another Harry Osborne and Carly discovered it. Right. Which would make sense. A kindred wouldn't want that known. Right. So maybe thematically she's not necessarily tied in, but like in terms of protecting his secret on who he is under the bandages or whatever, which which we've seen, right? He pulled his mask off and it was Harry. I, I think this is all just moving towards your thing, right? Seeing another Harry in this prison cell, like in my mind, that's Harry Lyman. I know he renounced the name, but it's an easier way to separate the two. You know, that is Harry Lyman and Kindred is this dead alternate Harry that I got erased from the timeline. Uh, and, and, and to my mind, this is like a chess move closer to you saying checkmate. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I actually think that you were right. And, <laughs> and, and you know, like I, I, it, it pains me to say that you're like, you know, pained that you're so right. <laughs> no, I hear you. I know. I, I, and, and you're right. I, I, I don't I, I shouldn't. When I say like I don't really have a guess, I guess it's it's more like this this doesn't move me from my original like solid guess of what this character is. You know what I mean? Because I feel like to to move off of it based on this new evidence, and maybe that's where the frustration is. It's like I'm 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 wondering if this new evidence is going to send is you know is it misdirection or is it meant to kind of move up, move me off of that guess? And if it does move me off of that guess, I feel like we're, we're, we're still cheating. You know, it's, it's worth noting, too. I mean, through through this whole arc, whenever Mordo is is communicating to Kindred, he refers to him as demon, you know, like and, and, and even, you know, even though like Mordo doesn't really know where the demons origin, where Kindred's origins are. And, and Mephisto didn't know where where Kindred. Well, Mephisto was just like, wherever he is, he's not mine. He's not one of mine. I mean, which I mean, Mephisto could be full of crap. I mean, that's not like, you know, beyond the character. But like, it is worth knowing that like these 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 demonic characters are acknowledging Kindred as a demon in kind, which I think is important. 
uh, as we kind of go into this, because again, like if this was just Harry Osborn under a mask, it that's n- Harry Osborn as we currently know him is not a demon. It's some demonic version of Harry Osborn. If this is well, true, th- that that's why the why remains more prevalent than the who, right? Like I think Mark, you you figured out who it was ostensibly early on. You know, the question is why is it appearing as Harry Osborn and what does it want? You know, and how is it all tied? And clearly it's all tied up in one more day because we wouldn't have had all of these allusions to it. Mephisto being brought in. So like we're, we're getting there. And for me, I was like, this is really exciting because I felt like I needed, I, I could stop guessing. Like, I'm like, okay, Mark was right. Everything is lined up and we're moving towards this end game. I've been saying that for a long time that we've been moving towards this end game. But like, to me, this was like, Oh yeah, like let's let's just get straight to it. Like your guesses are probably right, and I, I'd be curious to how this plays to maybe audiences that didn't know that they might be like, "Whoa, like what is happening here?" And whereas you and I are kind of like, "Well, I mean, that's kind of what we figured." That's what know? we've been saying this whole time. Yeah, I'm just gonna throw this question out there just to make sure that I'm not off base here, and and it kind of actually is playing off of what something you just said a few minutes ago that kind of sparked this in me. Carly Cooper, I mean, Carly Cooper, I, I, I know that we've gotten backstory, especially like with her father and stuff like that. But like pretty, from a very literal sense, Carly Cooper did not exist until Brand New Day, correct? Correct. I mean, ostensibly she did, but she's friends with Lily Hollister It is is my remembrance. Right. So, I mean, but but like, like we never referred to her. I mean, like she was never referred to prior to Brand New Day. She never appeared. No. OK. So like, I, you know, like it's it's just worth noting. I mean, like, you know, when you go back to, you know, what is it, Amazing Spider-Man 545 or 544, whichever, whichever, the whichever the, one more day to Brand New Day was, it's worth noting, like Harry just kind of shows up. In that at that party, and everyone is just like it's Harry, you know, like no one is like, like, aren't you dead? And and Carly is kind of part of this this click too, and like it makes you wonder is the connection here? Like you just said, oh well, they're both brand new day, but it's like, is the connection here even more sinister than that? You know, like is there is there something going on with Carly, where Carly was not Carly prior to brand new day, and now. You know, like she's brought into this too somehow, you know, like I'm I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far, but I appreciate the way that it gets me thinking. You I, know, because I'm just she, saying, I mean, like, 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 you know, like we, 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 we were introduced into a world where everyone just accepted Carly as is. And I'm not saying that 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 shouldn't be what it is. But like we also, you know, when we go back to those comics, we're also going back to a time where everyone just accepted Harry was back when we know that there was something mat, you know, magical, a foul going on. <laughs> so I'm just saying like, you know, wh- why are we bringing these two characters? He, he does reference the devil literally when he returns. Yes. Yes. I'm just saying like, why are we bringing these two characters together in this moment here? When, with this storyline that is so clearly uh, entrenched in the mythology of brand new day and one more day. Maybe maybe there's more, you know, like the, there were two characters that Carly said that were, were, were what there were there were corpses or corpses missing or whatever. Right. That was it was it was two characters. Right. There was an extra body. But I thought there was two extras. Right. It was two characters, I thought. 
I thought it was just one extra body. I thought I thought she said two. I, I thought that that you know when we go back it was two. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to revisit that, but I I, I thought it was one. I can't tell you specifically. I don't have it in front of me. In regards to this story, though, Carly seems like a genuine actor, right? Like she was like trying to warn MJ about an extra body, and here she's trying to escape. So she doesn't. It, whatever it is, she's not. In, a part of it, at least it appears to be. Because why would you try to like unravel something that you're a part of? Just saying, think about it. Just, <laughs> just giving you something to think about, Dan. That's all. That's that's that. Well, you know me, Mark. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna really think about. <laughs> you're gonna go down uh, that rabbit hole. There you go. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna send me spinning here. Any thoughts on like Mark Bagley overall? I mean, I, I talked about the level of detail here. I mean, I I, I thought it was a really well drawn issue, even if I get hung up on the like Norman Harry similarity. Right. Yeah. I mean, that aside, no, it was, it was, it, you know, like this is, this is Bagley's wheelhouse in terms of the kind of stuff he's doing. I mean, you know, I would have loved to see some more action stuff, but that's not through any fault of his. It's not, it's not the visual, it's not the most visually arresting issue aside from Bag, Bagley doing the best he can with it and doing well with it. I shouldn't make it sound like doing the best he can, like, Oh, well, you know, a for effort there, Mark, but you know what I mean? Like he, he did a great job with it, but there was nothing really in there in the book that was like, oh, wow, what a great comic. You know, everything, every, you know, any any kind of action that was rendered there was was well done. And, and you know, the emotion, you know, between the characters and a mask, I thought was was well done. I mean, Peter, Spider-Man looking forlorn and kind of like, you know, the, the playing with the perspective with him and the Avengers. I thought that was a really well done sequence. So, I mean, Bagley, Bagley was good. I mean, Bagley's, Bagley's a pro. But this was this was one of the better Bagley issues I thought so far. Yeah, I think John Dell's inks really work well with him, too. Like, that's a good pairing. They've been together forever, I feel like. So that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Let's get to our grades on this one. Mark, I'm throwing it to you again this week. Yeah, I mean, I... (laughs) I'm going to say B minus and, and, you know, that, that might seem a, a, a tick low or maybe I'm going to end up being the same, same grade as you. But like, I, I, I you know, I, I, I appreciated the, the, the step back uh, of this issue. Like I had said earlier, I would have liked to see maybe some more advancement with Spider-Man himself and maybe kind of setting up the chameleon arc a little bit more than what we got. You know, the kindred stuff, like, you know, like, I don't know, like it's, it's, I don't begrudge it. I, 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 I think that these are interesting reveals. It's just, you know, it's it's just hard to get too too excited by it at this point because, you know, what we're what we're re- what we're learning about now, you know, it seems to be, you know, we're not gonna get a payoff for it for another 10, 15 issues anyway. So it's just kinda like, okay, great. Uh, so B minus for me. I'm giving this one a B, but I think I could very much give it a B plus. I, I just don't think that it's like super Peter oriented, although I think there's a lot of really good Peter moments and, it, you know, it's just not like a, like a fully rounded issue of Spider-Man with like, you know, all, all the aspects of the character, which I think gets you like a B plus a territory, but I had a lot of fun with it. And I think a lot of the teases and stuff like really got me thinking and excited to see things kind of like coalescing even as we get a new mystery with uh, with with Betty, anytime this book focuses on the supporting cast and Peter simultaneously, you know, automatically gets my buy-in. B, but I could very well easily go B plus because grades don't mean anything. Uh, I like this. <laughs> Especially I like our this grades. Comic. Yeah, right. Like they're influencing things. No, I, I liked this comic. It got me pumped, 
and excited to proclaim your uh, prognostications, Mark, even if you won't take the credit for it. <laughs> I've, never, I've never, I've never seen a situation where I have like been so reluctant to be right before, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> you you stayed it being right. Um, okay, well, cool. Well, Mark, why don't you take us home? Absolutely. Well, of course, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers or viewer. <laughs> Maybe we've gotten a few more in the last few minutes uh, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, uh, Mark's talking about our awesome YouTube presence, uh, our live show for our Patreon supporters. So if you uh, want to sign up for the Patreon and join us, you can do so because these things always debut as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? And the Patreon helps make the podcast happen. You know, it allows us to do things, you know, like review these comics and, you know, keep people working with us uh, in the future. So this episode, like always, was edited by Rick Coast, who does us a real solid by helping us with the editing. A production support from Andy Myers, who puts together our live streams. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. So, Mark, uh, wrapping up the show, until we decide to reconnect in person after this COVID thing, only for me to discover that you are pregnant, what's our motto? Wow, Dan. I mean, that's <laughs> it's quite the discovery. <laughs> I would say that our motto is, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. So, Mark, who's the daddy?